Welcome back to Russell Street Replay, a podcast that recaps every Baltimore Ravens game by handing out awards and superlatives to various players and plays from each week. I'm your host, Nick Hilmeta. And boy, do we have a treat for us today, because joining us on Russell Street Replay today is James Ogden. He is our favorite British Ravens fan and one of the foremost football minds that we have over at Russell Street Report. Uh, James, thanks so much for being here with us today. No problem. Great to, great to be with you. So, you know, that was a, that was a, was a, was a rough game because going in, you know, you're, ex, you're not expecting, you're not necessarily expecting this team to keep it as competitive as they did. There were times in the first quarter when this game felt really competitive. You know, the Ravens faded away a little bit in the middle of the game and they come roaring back in the fourth quarter again. You know, it's, it's one of the best things about this team, but sometimes it's one of the, I don't want to say worst, but uh, maybe most excruciating just because they're always in every game. They'll, they'll never lay down and quit no matter what's been thrown at them. What does that tell you about this team? I think, you know, there's been a lot, lot, lot talked about this week around the coaching decisions and stuff, but what it, what it does and the play calls, but what it does right at the end of the game, but what it does tell you is that the coaching of this team is just, is just phenomenal and it has been for a number of years and it and it starts with with Harbour who I think sets the tone as a as that kind of CEO style head coach but a guy who gives a lot of autonomy to to some some really great coaches in this league and and what I saw specifically this week was you know I'm sure we'll get into it a, a coaching staff who who put their players in the best position to the players that they had at their disposal in the best position to succeed uh, including Huntley uh, including all of the 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 kind of patched together secondary, they just they they put together a game plan all week that that really worked and and had them with a chance of beating what will be the number one seed in the NFC and even without a particularly um, kind of like a particular mismatch with special teams in this game and yeah there were some there were some some miscues from Green Bay but altogether they. As far as their special teams go, they had a decent day on special teams in the end. Um, so we didn't even see the mismatch that, that I thought would play out there play out. So I think it was just an incredible coaching job to have them in this game for as long as they did. Yeah, and it's you know something we've seen all year, but it just seems like maybe it's, some, it's hard to say one challenge is necessarily bigger than another, but it's different challenges every time. Right. And, and, and I think that's the thing that impresses me the most, which is it's not like Harbaugh and Wink and Greg Roman have been dealing with the same same injuries and same absences every game. I mean, this week was a group of five absences that I don't know if two of those players had ever missed the same game before. I think uh, the, the inactives, non-COVID inactives were Jackson Ricard, Ben Powers, Patrick McCarry and Clays Campbell. And those are five like pretty important players to our team to, you know, wake up the morning of the game and be like, yeah, none of these guys are playing. And then you put you put the COVID impact on top of that. It is a really impressive coaching job. But unfortunately, in in, in losing that game, you know, how, how badly does this hurt the Ravens' playoff chances? What are they going to have to do to still make the AFC playoffs this year? I mean, so for me, what they've got to do is they it makes this week winner-take-all pretty much. Like, I, I can't 
from and I'm not the the kind of guy to talk to about this, but you know, from from people like Dan Rees and and, and Yoshi um, on Twitter, like when you look at some of the the path to get there, it just feels like the division winner is is the way they get in the playoffs, which means they have to beat a Bengals team this week that yeah, have had some rocky moments in recent weeks, but still match up extremely well against the Ravens and the way that they play defense. And um, it just to me, it just it's it is this week that becomes the big game. And I can see them going it. I can see them beating the Rams and I can see them beating the Steelers, but I can also see both those wins, not, not counting for anything. If they don't overcome the Bengals this week, the Bengals still have the, have the chiefs, but they would have to lose both games going in, going into the end of the season, I think. So if we were to overcome them, if, if the Ravens lose to them this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's almost, uh, you know, I've, I, I don't know if any any game in week 15 is quite do or die, but this is about as close as it gets just because, you know, you only have so many more shots and, f- and especially with the tiebreakers and everything, you know, being one-on-one against the Bengals is going to be huge because we are, we're pretty good against the common opponents in the division. We're pretty good. We have a pretty good record against common opponents, things like that in the division. And so, you know, you hope that this week, you know, you don't want it, you don't want it to ever come down to one game. Um, but, you know, I think it's uh, it'll be and we'll talk a little bit about next week's game at the end, but it'll be an interesting game. I think it'll be a big question to see what happens with COVID in the next few days to see if there are more players we lose getting Jackson back. Um, you know, even getting Macari back, Macari was honestly trending towards playing. A lot of people were surprised that he practiced last week as much as he did. So, you know, it, it could be a big game for us to say, wow, we did really well against the Packers. It's a huge confidence builder. You know, that's a loss you win after, I feel like. So, you know, moving on to our categories here, Raven of the game, there, there are two very, very clear nominees for this award for me. Um, you know, I think it's worth mentioning Patrick Queen. He had 11 tackles and, you know, AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones are tough guys to bring down. And he did, he played well. Brandon Stevens had to step up big time and he was there. He he had that really nice pass breakup, I think in the second half. Uh, And it just felt like Justin Houston was the one getting after Rogers the most, you know, we didn't get as much pressure on Rogers that I hoped. Um, You know, obviously he's, he's Aaron Rogers. So you're you're not, you're not going to get to him. You're rarely going to get to him as often as you want, but I felt like Houston was the guy kind of leading the charge on that front. But I think, you know, this is really a two man race between Tyler Huntley and Mark Andrews. I mean, Huntley, you know, comes in arguably outplays or almost, almost outduels Aaron Rodgers, which is not something a lot of uh, second year undrafted QBs can say. And Andrews, I don't know what more there's to say about this guy at this point. You know, he, he is just, so good. I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've had a player who is this far and away in the top three of his position in, in Baltimore in, in, in a long time. You know, I think Jackson is Jackson is up and down. So I think it's hard to like lock him down as a top three quarterback, especially with how well some guys have been playing this season, but there's no one playing as well as Mark Andrews this year. No, he's, he's utterly dominant right now. You know, teams, Teams know he's the guy that you're looking for. Like the, the amount of times that, and I, I think my, so to sort of tip my hat a little bit to who I think, I completely agree with you. I think these are the two nominees for this award. I had both those names down and we didn't pre-coordinate before the, before the pod started. <laughs> so, uh, so I agree with you um, entirely, but to sort of tip my hat to who I think it probably should be is 
uh, is sort of to show you how good Andrews was, I think, which is that, you know, looking back at the game, and I've managed to look at the All-22 now, um, which which can be difficult over here in the UK after a game that has been on TV here in the UK, and this game was on TV in the UK here, um, and so they black it out on Game Pass, but I've managed to get to the All-22 just in time for this. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, the amount of times they 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 all sort of telegraphed that it was coming to Andrews. You know, I think that we can get into on the last, the last play of the game, but I think for me, it it was, there was some kind of predetermination that it was going to Andrews. And we saw that for most of the game, Mm -hmm. they gave Huntley a lot of half field reads. They rolled him out a lot and it was always to, to the, to the, to Andrews's route side. It was always that way. Um, So the Packers knew that Andrews was the guy, was the guy, and he's still putting away a ridiculous amount of catches and yards and touchdowns, and it's happening every week. So the guy is just dominant, and he what's what's so encouraging is he's just taking it to the next level. He's yes, the Ravens have added some extra receiving weapons, which is clearly helping in terms of the attention he gets. It's not just all on him anymore. So they've helped to an extent, but that's made lent him to take the step to the next level, to be this dominant tight end that you know the quarterback is looking for on every play, but you still can't stop him. Yeah, and that dominance is, it's just amazing in all of the situations where it almost feels like Andrews knows he needs to step up. You know, losing, I feel like, especially anytime Watkins has been out, Bateman has looked good, but Andrews has always stepped up, especially when Watkins is out the couple games when Huntley has been playing more. He knows like, Hey, my quarterback's going to be looking for me. They're going to design more plays for me. And he just gets to the next level. He he just is able to just win every matchup. And, you know, that's something that's pretty rare. And, you know, he, he is, he's, it's something that's also been talked about a lot this season. He's grown a lot as a blocker too, which has been huge with the Ravens not having Boyle for most of the season. Now they had to go a couple games without Ricard. Andrews being able to be an effective blocker is another huge part of his repertoire. You know, that's a credit to the coaching staff. I think that's, you know, I would imagine at some point told Mark Andrews before this season that he's going to be blocking a lot more and that, and, and he is the kind of guy who just to me embodies the spirit of this team and he'll do anything for the team. You know, I saw him get the wind knocked out of him at the game. And I don't know if I've ever seen the stands as worried when Andrews went down, because, you know, I think other than Jackson and, you know, you could even argue that we, with, with Huntley, we still have an offense. If Huntley's in, I don't know if we have an offense without Andrews, Uh, you know, this year, I think going into next season, it's something to work on is not necessarily having, you know, Andrews be the point guy on every single play. I know it's good to go to your stars, but, you know, it's good to spread the ball around too when you can. But in terms of this season, in, in all the roller coasteriness of it, it's been Andrews. And losing him, I think, would be a blow that we can't come back from. Yeah, I would totally agree. And 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 the other thing is he's doing this in a year when, you know, we often hear when when guys sign big contracts about how they, you know, have a down year or they sort of rest on their laurels a little bit. This guy has not done that. He signed a huge contract and pay and like easily counted for that money against the cap. You know, he's 
he is contributing at such a high level right now that, and so he's doing this all based off of his own, you know, want to get better, his own desire to get better and, and, and to be a top three tight end, you know, I, he, he is now for me in the conversation with Kelsey and Kittle, you know, Kelsey's had a bit of a down year, but he's still, you know, he's still, you know, that, I think last week he, he went sort of went off uh, last week. I think, you know, for me, Andrews is in that conversation now as the best tight, as, as the best tight end in the league. Uh, Kittle, I, I have a bit of a soft spot for Kittle because I think he's just a beast, but I, I do think that the, that, you know, Andrews has inserted himself into that conversation and, and he's younger than both of them too. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that he signs this deal and it makes him, you know, one of the highest paid tight ends. And before the end of the season, I'm already thinking, man, that's a steal. Like, especially, I think the cap is supposed to go up almost 15 or $20 million next year. And, you know, it's going to keep going up after that. And by the end of this deal, we're going to look and say, man, we really underpaid Mark Andrews. I, and I hope, I, I hope that's what we do. And that's what I think will happen. Moving on to unit of the game. You know, we mentioned the coaching staff as a nominee for this award a couple weeks ago. And I think they should get it again because something I don't think we mentioned enough in all the talk about Wink and Roman and Harbaugh is also the individual position coaches and the phenomenal job that they've done coaching up a lot of the young guys that have had to step into roles. Um, you know, I, I also think that the, the offensive line had maybe its best game of the season uh, against the Packers and the defensive line, did its job in terms of at least holding the line against the run. I think we gave up, uh, I think, uh, 96 total rushing yards. Uh, and I think it was only about, it was about 80, it was about 80 rushing yards to Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon combined, which is, you know, it's what you want. That's, you know, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is going to try and beat you through the air every time. So at a minimum, you want to try and take away the run game. And we didn't allow a run longer than 11 yards. No, and I, so what I would so the, the the unit I would give I agree with you that was that was one of the most impressive aspects of of this defensive performance was limiting the run to the extent that they did, and I think the reason for that, having watched the the film back, was the linebacker group, and I think what, what the reason I would say that is because this was a very different game in terms of run defense from the Ravens. The amount of times they had a um, four guys down. A uh, four down lineman was was much more than we normally see, and you, you, what you wouldn't what what we saw was Brandon Williams, Justin Matabike, and a rotation of Houston Oway and uh, and Bowser at the edge spots, and they had they had four four guys each every play, almost every play, and the reason for that was because they needed more guys in coverage. They needed to drop more into coverage, even to just have the traffic for Rogers to have to deal with. Um, given the weakness in, in the secondary. and But what that did for the run game, which I thought the Packers possibly could have done a better job of taking advantage of, but what that did mean was that these linebackers didn't have the protection they normally have from three big two-gapping defensive linemen up front. They had to run free and they had to beat blocks and they had to read their keys. And I thought they did a phenomenal job, this linebacking group. I think the 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 other thing for me was that not neither of none of them were wearing the green dot. It was Gino Stone who was wearing the helmet. And so you had to rotate in Welch and Bynes and Queen. And it was just, I thought it was a really great performance from the linebacking group. Some people will probably look at some of those, those early gains from Lazard over Queen and think that that, you know, that sort of is a, 
as a mark against them. But for me, that was just the Packers noticing that the, the Ravens did not have the personnel to be able to put an extra defensive back on the field and, and pack and Rogers going and finding that advantageous matchup and taking advantage of it. I, I just felt like that linebacking core did a really good job this game, but I can see a way to a number of different groups getting it. Like you mentioned, the offensive line, I thought had a, had a good game, albeit given some sort of protection um, with the stuff they did for Huntley this, this week. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, it's another testament to Queens development that injuries and all of that stuff, they're willing to, to, put him out there. And, and, you know, even in coverage, they, they took him out on a lot of coverage snaps earlier in the season and they looked more comfortable putting him out in coverage snaps. You know, I know he, he's, he's not a lockdown guy in pass coverage. He's not, you know, that that's probably the biggest, one of the bigger areas of improvement, I think for him going into next season, but at the same time, you know, you, you look at what the defense was put up against it and yeah, you're going to have some, you're going to have some nightmare matchups sometimes. And, you know, I felt like Queen did a good job of at least finishing plays um, and and not not letting them break off plays that were too long. They had a couple 20, 30 yard passes, but, you know, nothing that was, you know, 40 yards, 50 yards after the catch touchdown that we've seen earlier in the season. You know, at a certain point going into the game, that's about all you can ask for is 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 playing at least a clean, smart game um, against Rodgers and, and seeing what your offense can do. And, and the offense came up big. Um, and that kind of brings me to play of the game. You know, there, there were a couple, you know, both of Andrew's touchdowns were, were, were nice catches. You know, I felt like the, the first one was a little flashier, but I actually think the second touchdown was a better touchdown. I mean, the throw from Huntley was, that's a, that's a starting QB throw. That's a, that's a, that's a pro throw right there. And, you know, gets over the first defender and, and lands right into Andrew's hands. He doesn't even have to high point it. And then the big third down sack late in the fourth quarter was just a huge play that you could, you could feel the, the mood of the game completely flip. You know, we give the ball back to, you know, we, we kick the ball back off to the Packers and it's like, okay, this defense, this leaky defense needs to stop. And there was kind of a feeling of, I'm not sure it's going to matter that we came all the way back because I don't know if our defense is going to get us the ball back. And they did. And maybe the, I think the second loudest I've heard the stadium all year, other than the Chiefs game, you know, you just got to give credit to, to the defense for coming up with a stop there. Uh, you know, Andrews had a catch and run in the, in the first, I think the first drive of the game that went for about 40 yards as well. That was another one of those. I'm not going to go down and you're going to have to get your whole defense to tackle me. And I love, I love watching Andrews do that. Um, what other nominees did you have for play of the game? Yeah, I'm with you with all of those. I think uh, definitely that that defensive stop was huge and definitely the, the, the Andrews touchdown catches and the one early in the game. The other one I wanted to go to was there was a first quarter throw from Huntley that was to Andrews, which was phenomenal. And I, I think it was on the second drive of the game. I was just checking my notes. I think it was on the second drive of the game. And basically it was Savage was, uh, Donald Savage was was covering Andrews and he was running across the field and he had to layer the throw over. And I think it was Chris Barnes. He was laying the layering the throw over and it was such a great throw. This was uh, like, it, it was a good catch from Andrews and a good route. But for me, it was the throw was just, it, he had to get it over, over a leaping Chris Barnes and into Andrews streaking across the field in stride. So to throw it like that, uh, you know, intermediate, but with some touch to a guy who's running across the field 
over a linebacker was just, it was a phenomenal read. It was a phenomenal throw. And it just showed to me as much as the Ravens helped Huntley, there were plenty of times when he made some great plays uh, to, to keep this team in the game. And that, that for me was, was the one out of all of them. I mean, the touchdown throws were great, but that one specifically was a, was a high level throw that you would expect an Aaron Rodgers to make and some of the other players in the league to make, but not, not all of them, you know, you, you, you know, looking at a sort of top 10 type quarterback throw that was. Yeah. And you know, it's, so I'm, I was just looking at the stats here again and Huntley had, you know, almost 300 combined yards. He, he led the team in passing and rushing. You know, it was a, uh, it, it was a very, it was a very Lamar Jackson esque performance again from Huntley, you know, in terms of hitting a lot of those throws to Andrews that we see Jackson hit, he hit a lot of those. He had really good chemistry with Brown and those comebackers. I heard some people in the stands complaining to me about how, Brown gets never gets any yards after the catch, which is obviously not true. Uh, you know, I think in 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 the the Packers game, they were giving him a lot of off coverage, and the Ravens were just taking what was there. Um, you know, you you just have to credit Huntley for stepping in. I mean, having the confidence to step up and make these throws is. It's, I mean, it's another testament, I think, to the coaching staff. I've said before, Harbaugh is probably the master motivator of the NFL. I don't know if there's anyone that gets more out of his players that, than Harbaugh. And, and Huntley is a great example of a guy who said, hey, you're, 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 you know, you're the backup to one of the most dynamic, exciting quarterbacks in the NFL. And yes, we're going to change things to help you out. We're going to scheme, scheme reads open for you and stuff like that. But we're also just going to kind of put the ball in your hands and, and, and say, let's go win this game. And, you know, all, all I mean, we talked to uh, three of the four plays we mentioned or four of the five plays we mentioned here um, were Huntley to Andrews plays. And it just talks about how big that duo was in the game. Yeah. And he just, he ran the offense. That was the thing that was most impressive. You know? Yeah. There were, there were, like you've said, there were plenty of situations they put him in that were, that were good for him and, and worked for him. And like I said, they rolled him out a lot and lots of half field reads, but, but he, there were times as well when he sat back and he just ran the offense, he ran the, the normal Ravens offense. Um, and I was so impressed with his processing. That was the thing, you know, it's, it's that he was, he was processing at a really high level. Yes. He didn't have to do that consistently for the entire game because the Ravens put him in situations where he didn't have to do that. But when he did, he was processing quickly. He was making his reads. He was getting through his progressions and he was hitting his guys and he was, he was understanding the structure of the offense and the plays and getting things out quickly when he had to as well. So, you know, we had that, um, you know, there was at one point, I think they spread them out five wide and um, they brought a, 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 what I don't know, it could have been a cover zero, but it was at least a heavy blitz um, on third down. And, you know, he knows straight away sl- slants a crochet in the middle of the field. He just hits it. You know, he, he was really good with that stuff. And uh, I was just really impressed with the way he processed all game. Yeah, uh, in, in a lot of the post-game press conferences and things like that this season, teammates have raised about his poise. And, you know, the, there are times sometimes that I feel like composure and poise, you know, professionalism, these are kind of buzzwords that teams throw out to just say, oh, we, we like this guy, we like his attitude. But with, with Huntley, it's – no, with Huntley, it's poise. It is, you know, I, I'm going to do – one of the toughest things anyone in the NFL has to do, which is stand in for Lamar Jackson against Aaron Rodgers. We've got the injuries on, on defense. We've lost a bunch of key guys on offense. My confidence in Huntley made me underestimate how difficult this, this, this game was for him. You know, I, I, I almost 
I, I was not surprised at all by his performance because, you know, we've seen him twice this season playing really well. We saw him play really well in the preseason. We saw him even play pretty well when he had to come in last season. And you can see that growth and development to the point where, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh boy, this is going to be a slog with Huntley and at quarterback. I was excited to see what he could do. Yeah, and, and for me, composure and poise in these things are the result or the byproduct of certain things that you can see on the football field. And and for me, the things, like I said, that that, that I thought Huntley possesses, which which you can see on film, which is the thing that I'd like to look at, is is the processing. He's so he the game was slow for him, but also it's his mental toughness. It was a big game. It was a big spot. The Ravens really like the win would have been huge for them against uh, against what, like I said before, is the num- probably the number one seed in the NFC. And he's he comes out and puts in that kind of performance. I, I just felt like that poison composure, you could just see it with the game was sl- slower for him than, you know, for some of these, you know, heralded rookie quarterbacks we're seeing this year, Zach Wilson, the game does not seem slow for him at all. Um, and so that poison composure comes, I think from, from how well he, he work out, you know, how, how great his brain, what his brain is basically for the game. Yeah. Honestly, before we move on to our next category, I'm, I'm a little bit curious to get your take. You know, I've, you know, there's no quarterback controversy in Baltimore. You know, Lamar Jackson's healthy. He's our starter. He's one of the best QBs in the NFL. And, and that's, that's no question. What do you see as Huntley's future? You know, I think obviously, you know, the Ravens have his exclusive rights, I think for at least the next season, maybe two. So, I'm, you know, I'm not worried about him leaving in free agency right away, but do you think that there, you know, do you think there could be another team that would want to take a shot with him potentially as a starter in the future? It's difficult because I, so you put a high tender on him, uh, like you said, for the Ravens, I'm not worried because they'll put a reasonably high tender on him and you'll either get a great pick back or you, you'll you'll pay him and have a very competent um, backup quarterback at a very cheap cost for another year. So it's win-win for the Ravens. I think for Huntley himself, I could see another team giving up a pick and a high pick for him. You know, when you look at this current crop of quarterbacks that are coming out this year uh, you're not all of them have gam all of them have gamble written all over them all of them have question marks all of them have things that where you could convince yourself they're not going to translate to the league and with Huntley you now have two and a half games of longer actually if you look look through to last last season as well you've got some you know you've got some game film from him playing well in the NFL um against NFL caliber defenses so for me if i was a general manager i would look at look at look at him for a, even if it's a, you know you have to give up a second round pick i would probably give up a second round pick for him so there is a real chance that he will get pulled away if it's not a trade it's maybe somebody matching a you know um giving up a second round pick for the for a for a tender um and getting him on a reasonably cheap deal as well if they do that so they first is probably slightly too much would be slightly too rich for me as a general manager and the reason being is as much as i do think he's a pocket passer and you could build around him in that sense you also probably want to move your offense a little bit to be a little bit more like the ravens offense just to enable him to to maximize his skill set so i think you've got to commit to him organizationally and it would be interesting to see if a team was willing to do that 
I wouldn't be far off doing it. Let's be honest. And, and if that's the case, and you're willing to, you, you've seen enough, and you're going to commit to him, then go ahead. You know, give up a first round pick and and take him and try and and build your build your franchise around him. It, I think there's a real chance he does go somewhere else, but I think the Ravens will be adequately compensated. Yeah, I think they'll definitely get the most out of him if him leaving if he has to leave. You know, I'm also. I go back and forth on it because I think, yeah, there's 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 about three games of, of solid tape to watch on Huntley, but there's only three games to watch. He was clear. He's clearly been undervalued by teams already. He went undrafted, obviously, which is, again, looking crazy. And, you know, I also I'm also not sure how, how willing teams will be to take that leap and say, OK, we're going to build our offense around you, not you have to come in and learn our offense and win the, win the quarterback job. I think, and, and to me, that speaks to the importance of setting quarterbacks up for success, right? You see Lawrence and struggling in Jacksonville and Mac Jones doing better in New England, and you immediately understand the importance of location. And I think Jackson is an example where location mattered immensely. And I think Huntley is another one where I don't think he gets this far, develops this much if he's not on the Ravens. Um, and I think a team has to institute, like you said, a more Ravens style offense. I think to me, Washington and Carolina are probably the two top teams I can think of that, that fit for Huntley in terms of the need for quarterback and, you know, having the talent there. Huntley's not a quarterback right now. Who's going to take an average roster to the next level. He could definitely develop. He's got plenty of time to develop and do a really good quarterback more in his career. But right now he he does need help around him in order to succeed. but I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting kind of storyline that's developed this year. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Moving on to the um, the back to practice award, I, I don't know if there's a position group I could really target for this because you, you got guys on the practice squad trying to defend Devontae Adams, and he only ended up with 44 yards. I mean, you made other guys beat you. You know, maybe just better hand washing technique you're going to prevent the spread of COVID. It's really the only thing I could think of for this award, just because I don't feel like anyone collapsed in any specific area. No, I don't think so. I, I, I like if you were going to push me, I would say DBs and it's very harsh because as you say, it was a good, it was a good job on Devontae Adams. I think the reason the Ravens lost this game, if we look outside of referees and, and um, COVID and all of that kind of stuff is because as you mentioned, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard had slightly too good a game. Basically, the Ravens did what I thought they would do and what I sort of said that I thought they should do in battle plans this week, which was to do, you know, there's a plan for a number one wide receiver that you would usually institute. The Ravens the Ravens used an entirely different plan for a number one wide receiver, which was inc- like, basically, don't, under any circumstances, let Devontae Adams catch the ball. Like, it was... It doesn't matter if we have to put four guys on him. We're going to put four guys on him and we're going to gamble that Lazard and, and Valdez Scantling can't beat us. And I think knowing Lazard and Valdez Scantling, I think that was a good strategy. That was the right way to go. But they just put too many yards on us, those two guys. And I think it was because of the the, the defensive back play, which I just can't, I can't blame them for. These guys are not, are not talented enough, are not talented enough they're talented enough to play in the NFL and they competed. And I'm glad that they did that. That's why I don't really don't want to ding them too much for this, but there were obviously some, 
some fundamental sort of deficiencies within a few of their games that that really struggle. You know, the Robert Jackson thing on the TD, I don't want to get on him too much, but you know, he he had inside help and he he was playing inside leverage and he just let him get outside and got the touchdown. You know, you just can't do that. So I think that's the the group I would send bags of practice, but it feels particularly harsh given that I felt like they did they did a good they, did, they were solid considering what they were up against. Yeah, and you know Lazard and, and Valdez Scantling, they're not scrubs, but they're they're not the receivers that you know at least I think Green Bay should be giving Aaron Rodgers. I think Green Bay should be giving. I mean, you could argue that Green Bay knows they have Aaron Rodgers and they don't feel like they need to invest as much money as receiver, but that's why he kind of wants to leave. And you know, yeah, you make you make the other teams not best players beat you, but when Aaron Rodgers is dropping in some of those throws that. You know, it's not even like Lazard and Valdez Scantley had to make a lot of tough catches either, just because Rodgers is so good. And, and we really saw that firsthand that, yeah, you say, you know, there, there are, it's, but that's, it's a lot of those little things. I feel like those technique at the margins that the guys who have just been in the league for a longer time, um, you know, Humphrey and Peters obviously are, you know, the two big ones, but even like Jimmy, having Jimmy Smith. Um, for this game, Chuck Clark for this game would have been huge for just some of these little things against that, you know, break up a pass or two here or, you know, get to Rogers a little bit quicker here or there that could have made a difference. But yeah, I agree. I think, you know, and that's going to be the position the rest of the season. I think that's going to be, you know, we've got the Bengals, we've got the Rams and we've got the Steelers left. And those are three teams, two teams with really good wide receivers and one team that has pretty good wide receivers. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, I think that's going to come up again, the defensive backs over the course of the season, moving on to newcomer of the week. I had three nominees for this award, Brandon Stevens. I, I know Elliot's price may have gone down after the injury. I'm just not sure how this team looks at Brandon Stevens and says, this isn't our future starting safety. You know, this is a, this is a free safety through and through. He's coming up making tackles, but he also had a play. I actually forgot to mention him play of the game, which was a pass breakup in the second half. Um, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was a third. I think it was a third down. It was a deep crossing route. And he showed not only a really good job of seeing and reading the play, but some, some range, some speed on that play to make the pass breakup. Uh, Kevin Zeitler had a really, really solid game. I think he's had a couple of his best games as a Raven in the last few weeks. Uh, and David Sharp coming in for Tyree Phillips going down and holding the fort down. You know, I saw him go on the field and I was like, oh boy, we have, we fought, we've got finally gotten to the point in this season where David Sharp is playing the rest of the game at right tackle. And I didn't feel like he blew anything. I, you know, I, you know, I, he wasn't dominant. No one's, you know, he's not like Trent Williams just shoving dudes around, but you hold the fort down. That's pretty much all I can ask when you're a practice squad elevation coming off the bench. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. Like David, I wrote David Sharp down as a kind of like, you know, he he got in the way a few times, which is kind of what you want. You know, there, there's definitely plenty of te- technique deficiency there that we can sort of talk about. But like you say, he's a he's a practice squad elevation. I thought he did a decent enough job, um, given given uh, the the kind of uh, last minute nature of his call up. I'm so with you on Brandon Stevens. I just feel like now I've got to the point where I don't even see Brandon Stevens as a newcomer. I see him as a guy who I'm dead excited about the future. You know, if you 
if you'd listen, if anyone had listened to um, Denard Meltman and Mike Crawford earlier in the season on their show, um, you know, they've been on Brandon Stevens for quite a while and uh, that, you know, they opened my eyes really to, to how good this kid was early on, even in short, in short stints. And now we're seeing it for longer, longer snap counts. Um, he's just a great player. The, the guy I wanted to quickly touch on was Ben Cleveland, who, um, who played every snap this week. And I thought they put, basically, they did the same thing they did with Huntley. They put him in situations where he could be successful. You know, if you if you let this guy just down block the life out of people, he's going to be really good at that. Like he just, he can. If you can get him in a short area where he can just hit people, um, he's he's going to he's gonna play well. And that's what they did most of the game in the run game. When they did make him pull, because one of the things I do think is um, is an area for his game to work on is the the kind of um, change of direction in short areas when he was asked to pull at Georgia, I felt like he, he got lost when he got into the second level because his reactive athleticism isn't as good as his straight line athleticism. So what they did was when they asked him to pull, they got, they put him in, they put him in situations where he had to pull really tight to the guy's, to the, to the, the guy's butt that the hole he was going into and he was going and either kicking people out or hitting people immediately. He wasn't having to go to the second level and search around for a guy to hit. It was just there. So they put him in good situations, even when he was being asked to do things that I don't think he's as good at. And he was pretty good in pass protection. I would say the level of competition was pretty low. Like I, I, you know, he was Kingsley Kiki and it was Tedderell Slayton. I quite like Slayton coming out, but you know, there's not a lot there with, with Kenny Clark missing. Mm-hmm. So you know, the level of competition was a bit low, but I felt like he did it. He did a solid job. Like it was a solid game for Ben Cleveland. And we'll see what, what happens when they put more on his plate as it goes forward. Yeah. And I've been saying on this podcast for a little while, just that, you know, you want, sometimes you want a, just a little bit more bullying in this run game, especially from the offensive line. And Cleveland is a good way to do that. You know, I, I think that I, I, I kind of think after this game, Coming in, putting up a solid game. I think if if the if the the coaching staff is willing to work around him, I really I really think Ben Cleveland should be in the firmly in the mix at left guard for the rest of the season. I think, you know, I think that it would be really good for his development, and I do think that it gives this team a be- the best chance to win. I think you have to roll your dice a little bit and say I'm willing to take some of his limitations to kind of just bring him onto the line and, and have him next to Villanueva, I felt like he was actually really good in pass protection. Again, the competition wasn't crazy, but that was that's that's one of the things that people worry about with Ben Cleveland as well, which is just his general competence in pass protection. I felt like some of his technique there, you know, his hand placement was actually re- really impressive from, from him for a guy who just hasn't played that, that much this year. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, maybe we'll talk about it uh, or we won't have time, but I, th- I feel like uh, Bozeman really helped him, and I, you know, I, I think really highly of Bozeman. This was a great game for Bozeman. Again, the, the the quality of competition not great, but you know he was really good, and he helped him out a number of times. You could see him um, communicating with him on the on the tape, and and so I think it was good to to have him next to get Bozeman this comfortable at center. Now you, you now you have Cleveland next to him, and it's and it's a much smoother operation. Yep. Uh, moving on to the mile high miracle, ridiculous Ravens moment of the week. I didn't feel like there was anything crazy crazy that happened in this game in terms of like crazy plays i just felt like the the feel of the entire game was was way out there you know waking up and seeing that jimmy smith wasn't playing going into this game with you know a, a bunch of practice squad guys at defensive back that was kind of the craziness 
craziness. Um, but I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that, that third down sack was, you know, the, the chiefs game was the loudest I think I've ever heard this stadium. That third down sack, I think was the second or at least the second loudest this season. And, and that was one of the moments I think that this crowd, the crowd was like, we're at least going to score. And I think everyone in the stadium was ready for them to go for two. Uh, we'll talk about it in head scratcher in a second. Um, but I just felt like that, that sequence of getting the ball back was, was crazy. Were there any other moments you had for that mile high miracle? Yeah, my one was one that wasn't done by the Ravens, but was done to the Ravens, which is Rogers missing Lazard to get to to take them up um, by as much as they would have. That would have put the game away. Mm-hmm. And to miss him by that much, that's a miracle for Rogers to miss a guy in the end zone by that far. You know, normally you'd expect that to have been Lazard to have been at fault. It obviously wasn't. It was just Rogers missed him, and I felt that was quite miraculous. Yeah, though I think there was another with Adams too, where Adams just made Tavon Young disappear off the line and Rogers just missed him. And, you know, yeah, you, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a, a break for Rogers to be not perfect, but you do need him to miss a pass or two if you're going to win a game. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that kept us in the game. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was weird in a game that was a ridiculous game itself. I felt like there weren't that many ridiculous moments in it you know, play-wise, anything crazy that the Ravens pulled off. You know, I do think that final drive with Huntley was a little bit of that, all right, let's do this, let's scramble, let's let's extend plays. You know, one thing I felt like he did well was when he scrambled, he got out of bounds. He didn't try and force throws downfield, like we've seen Jackson do and lead to mistakes, um, which is something that was, I think they coached him up on this week, to, they were, and they were clear about it. They said, hey, scramble, get two, three yards, get out of bounds, instead of trying to just heave it downfield, and then it worked. Um, moving on to head scratch of the week. Uh, I think there, there are a lot of these, so I'm going to kick it off with some of the non two point conversion ones, and then we can get to the two point conversion at the end, the holding call, the pass interference call was abhorrent. And I think that referee should be put into a cannon and blasted into the sun because there it's almost like he was anticipating a pass interference and just threw the flag because he didn't think that our, you know, defenders could cover the receivers one-on-one, which is just such, it was, it was just such a bad call. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, that, that was a really, just a really rough call. There was a, there were a couple other calls that I think were, were, were pretty bad, but I didn't feel like anyone was quite as big as that one or as impactful as that one. Um, the Ben Cleveland fake false start was another one where, you know, the referee saw him get set and decided to throw a penalty another ridiculous penalty. And I just, you know, it just feels like more, and I know we're kind of groaning about this as fans, but it just feels like a lot of times these head scratching penalties almost always go against the Ravens. Um, I actually curious, there was another, there were a couple holds that the referees missed, but there was a big one early in the game where I think it was a receiver was holding Anthony Levine and the ref is right there, like standing right in front of him looking at the play. And I just don't know how you miss some of those calls. Um, moving on to the other like coaching decisions, you know, the, the two point conversion, people are talking about the one at the end. Other people are saying Harbaugh should have gone for it early like he did against the Browns. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a proponent of usually going for it early if you're going to go for it one way or the other going for it early. You know, I know I think Harbaugh kind of was just thinking, uh, let's try and win the game right here kind of thing. I'm trying to think about if there are any other head scratchers. Did you have any others besides the two point conversion? Yeah, I think the the I would just want to say in the pass interference, I put a tweet out. I, I think that there's it seems to me that there's like um 
a move by referees to identify personnel on the field and then be looking for penalties. Cause I, I, I can't help but think that, you know, like you said, they were looking, they were looking for that pass interference call. And for me, it was, it was like, I, I know that they've got a bunch of backups out there, a bunch of practice squad elevations. I'm going to, I'm going to watch those guys closely and anything at all. Uh, you know, if they've, if they've covered someone, they can't possibly have done it through their own skill because they've come off, off, off the practice squad. So something must have happened. So I'm going to throw the flag. So I feel like it, it was looking, they were looking for it because of the personnel, I think. Um, but yeah, it was the two point conversions. I think that was the, was the main talking point. Um, yeah. I'll let you go first on that. Okay. Well, actually, before I was just, I just remembered mm. two, uh, two other kind of similarly aggressive decisions going for it in our own territory on fourth down late and going for it on fourth down, on the, on the, I think the three or four yard line early. And, you know, and I have to say, you know, in the game, in the moment, I'm, I was with both of those decisions, you know, the first one early, you want to, you want to, you know, it's tempting to take the points, but against Rogers, it's Rogers is the kind of guy that y- you don't know how many times you're going to get into the, into the red zone early in the game. And I think if you're at the three, it's worth taking your shot. I think sometimes they're inside the three play call leaves much to be desired for. And, We'll talk about that with the two-point conversion, I think. But and the other one going for going for it, you know, fourth and six deep in your own territory. It's a gamble. I, I that one I was I was I was a little bit surprised by. I think looking back, that that might be the one I want to have back because the Ravens defense did pretty well when they weren't put in really bad field position like that. The two-point conversion, I'm with the decision. I, I, I like Harbaugh's aggressiveness and, and I get that I would rather try and get two yards right here because the other outcomes of, of the game are either going to be, we go to overtime and it's a 50, 50 coin flip. If we're going to win this game or not, because if Rogers gets the ball, he's ending this game. But the other thing is that Rogers had 42 seconds left in the, in that game and a timeout, which I, you know, Aaron Rodgers could do a lot more in, in 42 seconds at a timeout than I think any of us could. I mean, I think he could probably build a house in, in 42 seconds at a timeout. And, and so there was almost an expectation that the Packers were going to at least go down the field and, and, and have a shot to win the game. And Harbaugh's thinking was, look, they might have to kick a game-winning field goal, but if they do it, they're going to have to do it to win the game. I'm going to put every bit of pressure I can on Mason Crosby, who's missed a lot of clutch kicks in the last couple of years. I feel like he has fallen off the clutch kicker that he used to be. And I think the real thing that gets me is the play call. You know, we t- you talked about a lot of those half field reads for Huntley. They did a sprint out. You know, he zeroed in on Andrews in the corner, even though, you know, the Packers were doing the same thing. He had Brown open in the back of the end zone. I understand that he couldn't see it. You know, if in his view where his head is turned towards Andrews, it's hard to see. It also looked like he might have had a lane because Bozeman Zeitler blocked that play really well. Um, and I go back and forth on the play call because the Ravens argue with three different options to score on that play. And maybe it was just that Huntley was too focused on Andrews. But I also just don't like cutting the field in half at, at the goal line like that. Uh, and I think that that play is also a little bit too predictable at this point. We've run it on those short yardage situations and especially at the goal line way too often to be doing it again in those really, really high leverage situations. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm with you. I, I think the – so first of all, to address the uh, – I'd like to see um, 
what goes into the the models that that are talked about in terms of analytics um because i know that the that the analytics would say you would go for it for two when they were down eight before the extra point um on that first touchdown so the first the penultimate touchdown uh, but for me i think that changes the mindset of the packers maybe it's different against other teams but i feel like Rogers knowing he's up six is a different beast to knowing he's up seven. You know, if he's up seven, he knows it's it's likely that he's at least going to get another shot at overtime. So they could be a bit more conservative. If he's up six, he knows that he's potentially in a situation where they may want to try and get a first down. And so it might lead to slightly different work from the offense in that final drive from the Packers. So that for me, I know that the analytics would say otherwise, but I feel like against the Packers, that's something to take into consideration, but the down to uh, the two point conversion at the end, I'm with you. I like the, I like the, um, the decision to go for it. I don't, um, for the same, same type of reasons, I don't, the play call. So for me, I've, I've sort of tried to talk around this on Twitter, but I probably not explained it that well for me. I think, when you start the week, you know you've got Huntley playing this game. You know you need to install a two-point conversion that that you know can work. A rollout with a half-field read is not the worst idea in the world to do with a with a second-year quarterback who's starting his second game. It's it it is it is in the realm of possibilities and something that you might want to do. And also you may want to premeditate targeting Andrews, especially if the pre-snap look you get is Mark Andrews on a corner. Um, who just is a mismatch size-wise. So, and knowing knowing the game Andrews had as well. So I think what I can understand the play call premeditated at the start of the week. I can't understand it when you, when you watch that final drive and you see the way Huntley was operating the offense and it wasn't a lot of half-field reads. He was, he was, he was getting the ball out on time. He was throwing the ball well. It felt like he was commanding the offense I would have given him more on that play. I would have, I would have, I would have lent on his processing ability. I would not have lent on, on uh, throwing the ball to Mark Andrews and only Mark Andrews. And I think that's that, that, that play, there had to be some level of predetermination that it was going to Andrews. There's a point on the sideline on the, in the broadcast copy where Harbour's talking to, to a couple of guys and he beckons Andrew's over and Andrew's goes over to talk and I thought oh that's a clever bluff it wasn't a bluff it was they were I felt like there was it was predetermined to Andrew's and as much as Huntley could have got it to Hollywood if he'd have been patient and stopped and the the and um set his feet the throwing lane would have been there and he'd have been able to deliver it on time to, to Hollywood I think he it wasn't even in his mind to look for anybody else it was let's get it to Andrew's no and, and I don't really I don't really fault him either and you know this is the thing that it is so hard for me to properly evaluate Greg Roman. I, I don't know how to do it. You know, there's a lot of talk about fire Greg Roman, don't fire Greg Roman. You know, people talking about he, how he's built this offense, but he might be the thing holding it back. You look at what they did in that game yesterday. You know, the Packers defense, I know they're losing, they, they were missing some guys, but that's not a bad defense that we carved up yesterday in both the run game and the passing game. You know, and, and everything you were saying about the, the, gen, the idea of that play, half-field read, second-year quarterback, Mark Andrews, it makes sense for a two-point conversion. But in that moment, at that point in the game, the Packers had already started doubling Andrews. And Savage knew the ball was going to Andrews. Everyone in the stadium 
when Huntley took two steps to his right after the snap, you know what play it is. And it's the predictability of it, I think, that's bad to me. I don't mind a half-field read as much. I don't mind the sprint out as much. But it's the predictability of going to Andrews. To me, like you said, that would have been an amazing bluff from Harbaugh. And I think the play works. I think a different play works a thousand times better because you just you just don't you aren't certain the ball is going to Andrews in the same way. And I also think it's just hard for me when you've got, I think, a couple, I think three, three wide receivers who are amazing in short yardage situations and Bateman, Proshi and, and Brown. And it's just you just wish you could get some back because. Roman does such a good job calling that whole game. I mean, it was a beautifully called game from Roman. He was picking the right runs like he always does. He was setting up Huntley to succeed, and and drives were just moving. He, his early down play calling, I thought, was phenomenal, compared, especially compared to some other games this season. And then you just get to the two-point conversion, and they call the sprint out, and it just hurts because you know it's coming, and you know they shouldn't call it, but they do anyway. Yeah, and like look at the look at the two point conversions that you you remember. Like it's it's the Tennessee Titans when everyone's expecting the handoff to Derrick Henry because you just can't stop that. And yeah, they do that sometimes. But then the ones you remember, the ones where Derrick Henry stops and does the jump pass into the end of the end zone, it's that decoy. And the Ravens had got to a point over the course of the game, like you say, with some masterful play calling to get to a point where. Andrews was the guy like everybody expected it to go to Andrews and you saw Savage go to Andrews. They could have had something dialed up that used Andrews as the decoy um, and, and they didn't. And I, so it, it probably is the play. Call. I can kind of, I, I can understand it and get with it. And I, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to, I don't jump up and down on Roman because I do think he's a, he's a good offensive coordinator. Um, and so I, like, I, I think it just conspired. It was a bit of a perfect storm and it ended up with us not, not getting the two points. Yeah, and it's not like they were that far from getting it either. You know, the, the pass was that it was really just the fact that Savage got to the ball. Otherwise, I think Andrew, he had he had the corner boxed out. The throw looked like it was just about there. And I think I think Andrews would have made that play if, you know, if Savage didn't get to the ball. And at a certain point, that's football. That's that's the game you're going to play. And, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth so much on the play call. I think ultimately I would have called something different. I was frustrated when I saw it develop originally. Um, but you also think about how close it was to working is that, you know, if, if they had just told Huntley to look for Brown before throwing it to Andrews, just glance over there, the game ends a different way and you, it's hard to fault the play call then. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough one, but you got to love the aggressiveness. They released a video of Harbaugh talking about it on the sideline yesterday. And it's just, I just love the guy. I'd do anything for that guy. If I was his player, you get, you just, you get why the players love him the way they do. It's the it's the it's it's leadership one hundred and one. It's autonomy. It's giving autonomy to to. It's knowing that you have some great players, great coaches, and giving them the space to be able to be great. I just think that's that takes a big man, and I, I especially a guy who's won a Super Bowl and could have the ego an ego the size of a planet, but he's still willing to give people their due and to just and to trust people. And I I, I think that's great. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the, uh, the 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 Steve Jobs film written by Aaron Sorkin, but the uh, the point where he's talking to uh, Seth Rogen's character, he's pl- he's talking to Steve Wozniak about, you know, a good musician is really good at their instrument, uh, but a good conductor plays the orchestra, and I feel like Harbaugh knows how to play the orchestra, and sometimes when he's coaching a game, you can just kind of think like he is 
he, he is directing an orchestra and he knows which section to call on at which specific times. And he knows how to bring out the best of everyone and fit it all together. Um, I, I don't think he's going to get coach of the year because I think these, I think too many people are going to fault him for these decisions he's made the last few weeks, but I don't care what the award says at the end of the year. Harbaugh is the best coach in the, in the NFL this season. There's no one else who could have done what he's done. Moving on to unsung hero. Uh, you know, I have three nominees. I mentioned David Sharp here as well, just because a lot of people were like, who is that guy when he went on the field? Geno Stone wearing the green dot, man. What, what a game from him. You know, second year, didn't play a lot. I think all had had all of two defensive snaps last season. And he's been playing a lot more at the injuries this season. Looked good in a rotational capacity, and he started for Clark today, and I felt he played well. And I also want to give a little shout-out to Alejandro Villanueva. I feel like he gets, you know, he gets a lot of flack every week because he's not the same dominant left tackle that he used to be, but he is still playing at, at quite a high level. He is still easily a starting left tackle, and he's not someone that I necessarily worry about every week the way some people seem to. He is still a very competent pass blocker, uh, and I, I don't necessarily feel super worried, and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for being a part of this line. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I thought Villanova did pretty well. And I, I also think that um, we talked about it a little bit, but Bozeman and Zeitler also quietly had good games. Um, my guy probably for this was Anthony Avery, actually, who I thought had a really good game and haven't seen much about it. And he just keeps stringing together good games now. Um, and so I just feel like he's a guy that you can can count on. It's made It makes the Humphrey loss slightly more palatable that we do have a guy who who all right isn't going to lock down Devonte Adams one on one but is going to you know is a solid corner who's going to who you know when i look at the kind of spectrum of potential wide receivers you could face you know he's a solid corner who's going to who's going to lock down some guy you know some guys that are of equal of equal talent or or lesser talent so i do think you've got a, a good guy there and and i thought he had a, i thought he had a good game in this one Yes, it's been a roller coaster for him. I think I've talked about it in Tale of the Tape that, you know, he, 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 when he has a good game, he is on almost the whole game. Uh, but when he has a bad game, he kind of lets it stack on him a couple of times. And so I'm always watching him early in the game. And, you know, the Packers came out and their game plan was definitely target, target Robert Jackson, target Kevon Seymour. And you can't fault them for that um, because Rogers' passing chart, I don't know how many times April got targeted. There was a stretch in the season where he was the most targeted in the NFL. Um, and that has gone, he has fallen back in that category just because I think he's proven I can hang. I don't think he's obviously, you know, not had the all pro season that, you know, Wink Martindale kind of hinted that he could potentially have this season um, after Marcus Peters went down, but he's held up, you know, I don't know if he's, I don't know if they'll be able to bring him back next year. I think, I think there are plenty of teams who would be willing to pay up. Um, for Averett, but he also hasn't had the best contract year either. This isn't necessarily what you're looking for as a, as a player in a contract year. So, you know, he might be willing to take a shot and come back to the Ravens for, for, a, for a deal that, you know, isn't necessarily starting cornerback money because I'm not sure that he is a full-time starting cornerback on most teams in the NFL yet. And so I think he, you know, he might be willing to stay in Baltimore knowing Peters is coming off a torn ACL, Humphrey's coming off an injury, you know, we don't know what the status of Tavon Young is, you know, going into next season. So, you know, we might be able to, we might keep him around if we can tell him, hey, we've got a role for you. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that's another thing that, you know, you notice they just didn't target him that much. They threw away from him and that's partly because they're targeting our other guys. Um, but that also speaks to Avert's competence.
So uh, looking forward to next week. I know you'll break this down more fully in uh, in Battle Plans, but maybe you could just give us a little bit of an early tease, just a couple thoughts on uh, on next week's game against the Bengals. Yeah, so I think I think the main thing uh, that I'm looking for out in the next week against the Bengals is this this Bengals defense. Um, it's it's a scary defense for the Ravens to face because uh, I talked about it in the first battle plans and I'll I'll be talking about it again this week. Is that it's a chameleon like defense? You you cannot nail your kind of flag to the mast and say this is this is what this defense this this defense is particularly in coverage. They are they are multiple in coverage on the back end. They will they will run split field coverages. They will run cover one, cover two, cover three, cover four at equal clips throughout games and they will adjust themselves to whatever you can't throw against and they will also then keep you guessing and the the challenge that the ravens have is that they play into the strength of this defense in terms of coverage because the ravens are good when they can game plan all week to carve up a particular type of defense this fangio style of defense that started to be propagated across most teams in the nfl is not one that that necessarily shuts the Ravens down that well. And it's been shown week in, week out. We saw it this week with the Packers, which is also Joe Barry has been trying to implement that Fangio style defense with the Packers. And because it's an idiosyncratic defense, it's a defense that you can hang your hat on and say, this is what they're going to do. The Ravens prepare for it all week and they do a pretty good job because they're a well-coached team. But when they face a team, when they can't prepare for that kind of that they can't install enough enough passing plays, enough passing concepts that attack that particular type of coverage, and they have to read it on the fly. It can be difficult difficult to ask. And you saw in the first first clash between these two, it was really difficult for us to for the Ravens to to break down that that coverage. So that's the thing I'm looking for this week: is can can the Ravens adequately prepare for a defense? that they don't know what they're going to throw at them and that they can do lots of different things. That's going to be a big, big one this week for the Ravens. Yeah. And, and I'm curious to see what, it, you know, how, how more aggressively the Bengals, the Bengals play. I felt like they didn't blitz too aggressively in the first game, um, but I think they might be incentivized to change that up this game, seeing as how, you know, we've, I feel like we've, we've done a little bit better against the blitz, but it's still not quite where you want it to be. Um, but, you know, on the other side of the ball, I think the big question is, how, you know, one, who's going to be available. That's kind of the question every week now. And, and it's going to be, what's, what's going to be the plan to stop, you know? Yeah. Chase has slowed down. I little think the last few weeks, but with that T Higgins and Tyler Boyd have picked up kind of there on, on their old ways too. You know, it's still a very, very good offense that, that you have to contend with. You know, it's it is a little bit encouraging, I think, to see the Bengals cool down since we played them last. I think they probably had one of their best games of the season against us. And that makes me feel a little bit about some potential regression to the mean and just, you know, our chances heading into this game, how they've been playing recently. Um, and just a feeling that this is this is a do or die team. This is a do or die game, but this is also a team a team that is probably going to win these do or die games more and more often than not. I think that's, that's, you're so right to hit on that. I think the, the chase question is really difficult because like you say, they've, they've now filled up that receiver room with, with weapons and you can pick, pick your poison basically. And the Ravens would be fine if they had Peters and Humphrey and Elliot and Clark alongside Averett and Tavon Young and Jimmy Smith. It'd be fine. You know, there, there would be, there would be a way that they could match up with this team, but without those players, 
Um, hopefully Clark is back, but without the rest of those corners, it, it's a real, it's a really difficult challenge to go up against that that team, which is why I think they have to score a bunch of points next week um, to win the game. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and I think I think that'll be you know I think I think everyone's hoping Jackson is back. Uh, I you know we'll see if he we'll see if he manages to practice on Wednesday. I know they're going into like more intensive COVID protocols as well, so you know that also concerns me a little bit in terms of preparation. But but I think I think we'll have a good chance. I don't think you know obviously this is a team that's never going to go quietly into the night. You know no matter you know they're they're always going to give their fans the best possible everything they've possibly got, and it's something I think that makes it really lucky for us as fans and writers to cover this team. Um, and I, you know, I think it's, it's cool to have that kind of an attitude, attitude football team to watch. I completely agree. All right, James. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. This was a true blast. Got to get a lot of, a lot of really interesting insight from you. And uh, we're looking forward to hopefully having you on again, the pod sometime. And as always, make sure you check out uh, James's battle plan, both the podcast version and the written version on the Rust Street Report website. Uh, James, thanks so much. No problem. Thanks, Nikhil.